Chapter 2 Morning arrives, stubbornly and without regard for Zuko's lack of sleep. He manages to slip out again without waking anyone. He almost wishes stealth wasn't one of his skills. Perhaps last night wouldn't have happened if he were less light on his feet. Still, this talent proves useful and that he can wash himself more thoroughly without rousing any of his travel companions. The sunrise's orange and pinks illuminate his black and blues. The dark purple finger-shaped bruises on his thighs and hips. There are other injuries that he feels more than sees. He touches his throat and knows that Zhao left marks there, too. His back and shoulders have various raised scratches and a few deeper cuts that catch on his shirt when he undresses. It sucks, Zuko decides. Yeah, it's definitely downplaying the severity of the situation at hand, but... What's there to do now? Zhao's marked him. Ruined him. Took something that wasn't his and had the nerve to act as if he were doing Zuko a favor. Worse than that, Zuko fell for his lies. Let Zhao manipulate him into doing exactly what he wanted. He thoroughly cleans the areas that he can properly reach, scrubbing until the burn of the raw skin screams louder than the pain between his legs. Tries to quiet the part of his brain that knows that if he'd done any number of things differently, he wouldn't have wound up at the mercy of a madman. For all that, Zuko has fought for his honor. He now knows that Zhao has none. Even his word means nothing. Can Zuko really blame himself for believing Zhao, who as a man of the Fire Nation, should value his word above all else? And yet, Zuko left the Fire Nation. He was found by Zhao while camping with the Avatar. Perhaps Zhao's code didn't extend to an ex-Fire Nation prince. It happened. It happened. Past tense. There's nothing to be done about it now. They still have a world to save. Zuko still has the Avatar to train. And Zuko made a promise to himself to start righting his wrongs. He'd never quite meant to betray Katara back in Ba Sing Se. But he doesn't know how it feels to find out the hard way that you're wrong about someone. He brings out the moisture from his clothing and carefully dries the articles. He knows his brain is a fickle thing at the moment, so it takes all of his concentration to stay in the present, to not slip away and risk burning a hole in his clothes. The black shirt and trousers he shrugs on, the few remnants of his time as a blue spirit, are tight and the fibers drag against his various injuries. The collar of the shirt is high enough that it conceals the damage to his neck, but it can't help but hate how snug it is. Not at all as constricting as the fingers that squeeze until he starts to see spots. But, but, the fact that he has to choose whether to conceal his injuries or treat them is still less than ideal. Zuko forces his steps to be steady. He approaches Katara's tent, parking himself in front of it and pretending that the way he lowers himself to the rock is entirely normal. It could be a while before she stirs, so Zuko keeps his mind occupied with the plan with the words he's going to say to Katara when she emerges, how he's going to try and convince her to trust him when he certainly doesn't deserve to be trusted. They have a long day and arduous task ahead of them, and that might just be enough to keep Zuko from thinking about it and giving into the emptiness that begs to swallow up the anger and turmoil. At least now, he knows exactly where he can direct his anger. The hurt and pain need to stay as they are lest they turn into grief and despair. When Katara finally opens the tent flaps, Zuko snaps his head up to meet her icy glare. She brushes past him without another glance. You look terrible. Shocker. It's quiet on the ride back to their camp. The adrenaline from the last several hours has officially worn away. 
Zuko's lack of restful sleep is starting to catch up to him, and the exhaustion from keeping up appearances has settled deep into his bones. Still, he can't linger on the why of it all. He just has to keep going. It's much easier to worry about Katara than himself. She didn't kill the man who killed her mother, and... Yeah, is probably better off for it, but Dukal can tell that it hit her pretty hard. He knows she hasn't had anything to eat in the last several hours, and they've been flying almost non-stop. Zuko checks their packs and sees that there are a few lychee nuts left, as well as a few other things that Sokka had foraged and deemed edible. Katara. He lifts the bag into his lap, turning as if to hand it to her. She doesn't look up from where she's sitting on Appa's head. Is this the part why you tell me why you're limping? Katara's voice is calm but stern, leaving no room for arguing what she already knows to be true. Zuko winces, but manages to school his features by the time Katara turns around to look at him properly. You noticed? Katara scoffs. I'm a healer, she says. Kind of my job to notice. Zuko quietly puts the food rations back in their pack. He tries to force his shoulders to relax when he talks to her, but the muscles are rigid and hurt. He wants to flop with exhaustion, but his body is clinging to the fight response even if Katara isn't a threat anymore he thinks. Hopes. I see, he says. Katara can tell that Zuko is uncomfortable in more ways than one. The two of them aren't exactly friends, in the same way that Zuko isn't an expert conversationalist, but all day there was something lingering in the silence that felt more like fear, like some kind of secret floating in the air between them. She'd more or less ignored it on the way out, fixated on her goal, only now that she's stared down the man who killed her mother, she's trying to think of anything but that old face, bringing whatever it is up with Zuko to the forefront. So why are you limping? She moves to join him on the saddle, keeping a respectable distance. She may have forgiven him in the privacy of her own mind earlier today, but that doesn't mean the two of them are comfortable with one another just yet. It wasn't from today. Zuko sighs, looking away. No, it wasn't. His shields are up, but her critical eye notices the way his fingers tap against the saddle, down at his side. He's nervous, definitely hiding something. Okay, she concedes. When did you acquire it, then? Our last night in camp. What? Uh, what happened last night? La, could Zuko be any more insufferable right now? Zuko, she says, and this time he actually looks up. He looks guilty. Sad. Scared. You weren't limping that day. What happened after we all went to sleep? Was it a training accident? Did he get into a fight? What? I... He starts, then looks away again. Look, Katara, I don't want to talk about it. She feels the anger bubbling under her skin. One step forward and two steps back with Zuko. Always. I thought you wanted us to trust you, she says, none too kindly. Zuko visibly winces. And yet you're clearly hiding something from us. What is it, Zuko? What could you have possibly done while we were all sleeping? There's a tense moment where she thinks Zuko isn't going to say anything at all, mouth parting and then snapping shut on several false starts. I saw something in the woods, he says finally. I thought I was imagining it, but I wasn't. And then... Another long pause... Zuko's hands tighten into fists, but she suspects it's more to steel himself than anything else. She isn't expecting him to turn his back on her, 
nor to tug his shirt free and pull it up over his head. He sits, hunched forwards, with his arms tangled in the garment, his face tilted to the side. Healer brain kicks in quickly. She rushes forward, struck by all the different marks littering the firebender's back. Dozens of small cuts and bruises, but also a long diagonal gash, one that isn't actively bleeding, though it's a near thing. It seems like there was an attempt at cleaning some of the injuries, but not a very successful one. She mentally catalogs the damage to Zuko's back, listing the recognizable sources of the injuries. Rocks, twigs, bark, jagged earth. Definitely consistent with being in the forest. Nails. Nails. Fingernails. Clearly a rather scrappy fight, then. A fight. Spirits above? They left their friends in an area with a clear enemy. Down two benders, and none of them even know that there's an enemy in the forest. Did Zuko win this fight, at least? Why won't he just tell her? His voice snaps her out of her thoughts. I tried, he says, stretching his shoulders back a bit. Couldn't reach. She goes to press him for information, but when she tries to meet his eyes, she comes up short. More injuries, plain as day against the otherwise pale skin of his neck. Katara just... hadn't noticed before. Not with the wide expanse of his back painted all different shades of red and black and blue, and certainly not with the high-colored shirt he'd worn throughout their journey. But now it's all she can see. Dark, mottled bruises around his neck. Red circular marks peeking out from underneath. Broken skin at the jointure of his neck and shoulder. More circular marks that have turned purple. Fingers. Teeth. Nausea washes over her, a tidal wave of dread. She relocates the crescent-shaped mark she'd spotted earlier, and now takes stock of how they curve around his hips, the way that none of the injuries seem to end at his waistband, but trail lower. Usually, clothing provides some kind of barrier to the elements. Rocks and twigs don't tend to scratch through clothes. How did she miss that on her preliminary assessment? Oh, spirits. Katara lets her head drop into her hands. The story so clear with all of the intimate evidence playing on Zuko's body. This wasn't a naked fight. This was so much worse, and way out of her depth. Zuko? She says, her voice wavering. We left Aang and the others there. Are they safe? The boy lets out a shaky sigh. Yes, he says. You all were never in any danger. There's something odd in how he says it that keeps her from feeling particularly assured about her friend's safety. How can you be sure? She presses. It's the first time since burying his back to her that Zuko meets her gaze. It's hard and unwavering with certainty, but the pain in this stare lingers. Because this was personal. Katara wants to believe him, has no choice but to believe him, because whether she does or doesn't, they're still several hours from their camp and incapable of getting there any faster. The more pressing issue here is that Zuko's been hurt in an unspeakable way. Zuko, I'm sorry, she says finally, letting her profound sadness for him sink in. The firebender clenches his jaw, squeezing his eyes shut, and wordlessly accepting the comfort that Katara reluctantly gives, through a soft touch on an injury-free-ish part of his shoulder. Zuko shakes his head, dropping it so that she can no longer see his face. I was an idiot, he says ruefully. I thought I was protecting you guys. But then... The firebender breaks off, making a frustrated sound. It was all for nothing, and now I'm... Zuko never finishes that sentence either. 
He takes a deep breath, exhaling heavily. She sees the lick of flames illuminating his front. I don't want to talk about it, he says finally. Katara finds herself nodding, despite that Zuko can't even see her. If, if that had happened to her, she doubts she'd want to talk about it either. Zuko moves to pull his shirt back on, his arms shaking, but Katara stops him. Wait, let me heal you. He reluctantly agrees, lowering the garment and this time fully sliding it off his arms. He pulls their pack into his lap, cradling it against his chest as Katara uncorks her water skin and sets to work on the most dangerous of the injuries, the ones that might have gotten infected rather quickly if left alone. Was Zuko even going to ask her to heal them if she hadn't nearly interrogated him? Probably not. Katara can't help but recall the cold words she had for the firebender, for Zuko, that night, even the next morning. She was hardly the picture of sympathy and kindness. Knowing how stubborn Zuko is, he might have taken this to his grave, especially with how big he is on honor. He looks so small like this, hunched forward over himself, shoulders drawn inwards with shame. He's leaner than she remembered, but perhaps part of that has to do with the heavy armor he wore back when he was first chasing them. Either way, he looks nothing like the ponytailed jerk from all those months ago. Katara wouldn't wish this on him either. Right now, all she can do is treat the physical wounds, gently coax him onto his back when she's finished to try and clear away the evidence of hands that squeezed his throat and teeth that marked him like property. They were asleep. All of them were asleep and oblivious to the horrific things being done to Zuko not all that far away. I thought I was protecting you guys. That quiet admission sticks in her head, louder than all the rest. Did he really think doing this in order to protect them would have made any of this more okay? It's a lot to unpack, especially when she considers that, while Zuko was ready to trade his body for their sake, he didn't wake any of them to even alert them to the fact that he might have been heading into a dangerous situation. Trust works both ways, she supposes. The thought immediately fills her with guilt. Was this preventable? If Katara wasn't the last holdout of trusting the firebender, would he have felt comfortable asking for help? No. No. Because... Because there's no way Zuko could have known what was going to happen in that forest that night, and none of it is his fault, or anyone's. Well, one person is certainly at fault. Fuck. Zuko thinks it's his fault, doesn't he? His hands stay in tightly balled fists until the moment Katara corks her healing water and turns her back to him, giving him some much-needed privacy. Once she hears the reluctant shuffling end, she turns back to Zuko, and sure enough, he has his shirt back on and is looking off over the side of the saddle. If Sokka were here, he'd poke fun at him for being broody. She's glad Sokka's not here. I won't tell anyone, Katara says after a moment. It's, uh, not my story to tell. Zuko nods, the movement barely detectable. Thank you. But I have to ask, she says. Are there other injuries you need me to look at? No, Zuko says. I'm okay. A lie. She doesn't need Toph here to tell her that much. And yet she can't help but be a little relieved that she doesn't have to face more evidence of Zuko's assault. She would, if he asked. But it's clear that he thinks it's manageable enough without her help. Hopefully, both of their instincts are right on this one. Later on, Zuko takes a turn at steering Appa, urging Katara that she get some rest before they get back to camp. She lays down and watches his back, 
watches him take a deep breath and then sag defeatedly on the exhale. He's just a teenager, she remembers. A teenager growing up in a war just like them. He may not have known the horrors of war growing up, but he knows them now, especially now that they've brought themselves right to his doorstep. It's awful to wish that he's crying right now, that his head is tilted to the stars so that the tears can run freely down his cheeks, that he can start to grieve when he thinks she's sleeping, because she's not sure what comfort she could give, or even if her own tears would be wanted. It's selfish, and it's awful, because Zuko needs something, but she doesn't know what, and neither does he. She hopes that he's crying, because she wants him to feel, and doesn't know how to make him feel if he doesn't. She doesn't recall her last thought before she falls asleep, but her first thought upon waking is that Zuko looks the exact same as when she'd last seen him, slumped forward and impossibly small, only this time against a backdrop of pinks and yellows and oranges, as opposed to the deep blue of the starry night sky. The second she moves to sit up, Zuko's frame stiffens back to a trademark Fire Nation posture, but there's a slight tremble to it that tells Katara that it's difficult for him to maintain this air around him. Well, unfortunately, he has a few days of this if he intends to keep it a secret from the others. Morning. Zuko greets, his voice quiet and rough. He clears his throat before trying again, but even though the words are less muddled, the weariness in his tone prevents him from feeling any more assured by his attempt. Morning, she echoes, running her fingers through the tangles in her hair. I think you should try to get some sleep, too. Zuko shakes his head minutely. We're close, he says, maybe only thirty minutes out. Katara hums, knowing that she won't manage to convince him that thirty minutes rest is still better than nothing. That is, if Zuko is even capable of rest right now. She told herself she wouldn't push Zuko for more answers. But she's also, she can admit, more than a little bit worried about him. Zuko? Zuko turns to look at her. It would normally be his good side only his eyes are red-rimmed and puffy. Katara immediately regrets her wish last night. You said it was personal, she begins, watching as Zuko takes a deep breath and nods. Are you worried that he'll come back for you? There's more than a few assumptions being taken here, namely the he bit. Zuko never divulged any details, letting the evidence on his back tell the story, but now the unknown twist in Katara's insides with thread. Could it have been more than one attacker? Just how long was Zuko out there? Who was this person to Zuko to commit such a violent act just for the sake of hurting him specifically? The way Zuko's shoulders drop again, as he looks away, brings Katara back to the present. He hadn't considered it, she realizes. He does so now, his thumb tracing along Appa's reins. The silence stretches between them for what feels like minutes before Zuko finally opens his mouth to respond glancing vaguely in her direction. No, I don't think so, he says. Katara feels like she should feel relieved, but she doesn't. Zuko only looks more defeated than he did a moment ago, brow ridge furrowed in a truly forlorn expression. He's one stiff breeze away from being set adrift. No, Zuko repeats, looking away from her. He already got what he wanted. She bites her lip against the swell of emotion, and that effort goes straight to Ko's lair when he ruefully adds, There's nothing left to take. The certainty with which he says it is jarring, a myriad of underlying beliefs, truths in Zuko's mind, building up to this one statement that reminds her that this kind of assault is not only on the body but also the mind. 
Zuko, she starts, reaching for him, only to find herself choking on the words, the tears springing forth despite the fact that it is not her place to cry for him, least of all as someone who went to bed hating him the night he would be raped. With effort, she kept herself from audibly crying, though she's sure her sharp, shaky breaths paint the picture for him. She watches, feeling helpless, as Zuko rolls his shoulders and starts slipping into the persona she'd seen him wear before they left for the Southern Raiders. He could pull it off, she realizes. She only noticed something was wrong because she's a healer, because she was looking for it. There are no words for her sorrow for him. No way to say, I'm sorry I hated you, and I'm sorry that you didn't think you could trust us, without risking how Zuko might hear them. He's so deeply hurt, and thinks it's his fault, and Katara can't even begin to assure him otherwise, because even though she knows, Zuko never told her what happened, and therefore won't take her word at face value. When Appa finally lands in their campsite, Zuko looks, at best, tired. There's no hiding the pain in his eyes but she guesses that Zuko has more than one demon that put it there. Her friends descend on them in an instant. Friends? Did Zuko even consider them friends? Did she consider him a friend? Certainly not the other day. But what about now? Now that Zuko took her on a mission for closure, even if he didn't quite know what it looked like. Not to mention doing so the day after he'd been brutally assaulted, at least partially for their sake. Of course they're his friends, Katara decides. Not in the least because Zuko needs friends right now, but also because he's gone out of his way to help all of them, putting himself in danger to do so. The Sun Warriors, the Boiling Rock, the Southern Raiders, all of it for them. So when Katara pulls herself against Zuko's chest, she thanks him, because for all he's done and all he's trying to be, he is a good person, and Katara knows that now. She doesn't say she's sorry for what happened to him partially because of the several sets of large ears around them, but also because she'd said it already, and because Zuko needs to grieve on his own time. They have a war to win, and they'll fight it together. Katara will find a way to be there for Zuko, because she's his friend, and because she couldn't be there the night a man did that to him. Or last night, or this morning. She won't fail him anymore. She's going to help him however she can. Today, that looks like sending his bony butt straight back to his tent to rest. Tomorrow is unclear.